Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Good morning. We're going to try and get started this morning if we can get the back row to calm down. Yeah, I'd blame her too. I would. Just point at whoever it is. So, well, it's good to be here this morning. Thank you all for coming. Um, We're going to uh, jump into the book of Proverbs over the next probably weeks and weeks, if the truth is known. Um, I'm sorry? I got an echo. Is that just me? Um, What? Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, just give you a little bit of an introduction this week and, and maybe the first chapter would encourage you over the next 31 days um, to read the book of Proverbs, one proverb a day. It won't kill you. In fact, it'll probably help you. And uh, uh, just keep doing that while we're, while we're teaching on this. And I realize you say, well, which one do you want me to read? I want you to read all of them. And, and just one a day. It won't hurt you. Um, probably you can do it while you're waiting for your coffee to brew. It's just going to be that short. And, and so if you need uh, uh, some encouragement, figure out a time where you have 45 seconds to two minutes because you can read it in that length of time. So there you go. And I told you we're going to teach on Proverbs, but I want you to open to First Kings, which I realize doesn't make any sense, but it will in a moment. So... Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Teach us by your word, Father. Show us the great and mighty things that are in your word, Father, in the book of Proverbs as we just approach it with an open heart, Father, knowing that you will teach us, your Holy Spirit will lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's your first principle that I want you to understand in dealing with Proverbs. Proverbs are bullet points about wisdom. And so you're going to have to, to, to remember that there are no shallow spots in the wisdom of God. Every inch of God's wisdom is infinitely deep. And so if you say, oh yeah, I know that, you're an inch in, but it's a mile deep. So, so don't get caught up in the simplicity of some of these statements. The, the wisdom of God has no shallow spots. So if, when you understand the easy part of it, that's great. But keep pressing in because there's wisdom in layers underneath that, basically a mile deep. So there are no shallow spots. Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs. The reason I think this is important is that Solomon is the child of David, David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the woman that David looked out over the palace walls and saw a woman uh, bathing and went and took her. So her, her, him and hers relationship was not always great in how it got started. Lots of sin there. David uh, actually got her husband killed. And yet in the midst of all of that, the wisdom that Solomon had came from, at least in part, with, with the impartation of his mom and dad. And he writes these things. In fact, traditions tell us that, that Proverbs was a book that, that many times were in, uh, encouraged to be learned or memorized by teenagers. So again, these little bullet points of wisdom are very, very valuable in the picture. Okay, so look at 1 Kings chapter 2. Let's begin reading verse number 1. Now the, the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. 
and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." David's charge to Solomon is just this crazy big understanding here. And he says, listen, you do these things. Now, when Solomon became king, he began to move forward in all of these things. And, and basically in the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 3, we see Solomon asking God for something. And it really is the basis for probably why Proverbs even exists, is that there was this collection. Now, let me give you just a couple more, you know, basic things. It wasn't like Solomon sat down and just wrote these things nonstop one day, but rather over the course of his kingship, he wrote these things down and, 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 and pushed these things out uh, over the course of a few years. And so they collected them together and we now have them in a book. Or in a letter, however you need to see that. Okay, First Kings, excuse me, chapter 3. Notice it says in verse number 1, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David, till he had finished building his own house, and the house of the Lord, and the wall around all Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Except, <laughs> don't you love it when there's always an except? Man, I really love God except for when he doesn't do what I want him to do. Yeah, there you go. Except that he sacrificed and burned incense as high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings, yada, 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 yada. And <laughs> he, he, keeps, he keeps pressing along here. And we get to chapter or verse number 7. And we see his, the beginning of his request. Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. Now, he wasn't a child. He's, he's comparing his collected kind of wisdom and understanding to his father's. He probably wasn't that young when this happened. Again, if you really need to know this, somebody probably wrote a book about it uh, that's much smarter than us. And you can figure out how old he probably is. <clears throat> likely he was over 20 when, when this happened. So he, he's just approaching God in what we could see as a real humble way. He says, you've made your servant king instead of my father, but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. He's referring to leading. Okay, he doesn't, doesn't mean that he doesn't know how to use a door. He's referring to leading. When the king moves, everybody watches. When the king talks, everybody listens. He said, I don't know how to do this in and out as a king. If you miss this part of it, you'll miss the connection. You can miss the connection to your life. Because the reason that wisdom is so important is because it is the key to leading. If you're going to be a good leader, you've got to press into God's wisdom. As a parent... As a, as a worker, as a boss, anything, you've got to press in. Because I've got to tell you something, without wisdom, you're only as smart as you. Right? And so you kind of got to pay attention to these things. You say, well, but I know them. But remember, the wisdom of God doesn't have any shallow spots. 
So if you think you got it that in that area, in that, oh, I got God's wisdom on this. Well, okay, you got the first part of it, but it's a mile deep. There are no shallow spots in the wisdom of God. And so the minute you think you got it, can I tell you a little story I got this week? <clears throat> I've been fairly confident in my, in my kind of life operation about the fear of God. I, 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 really, I, I respect and am in awe of the power of God. And I saw in this scripture, Matthew, in uh, uh, um, Mark chapter 5, verse 36, where, where, can you put that up for me, please, Paul? Matthew 5 and 36, I'm pretty sure that's close. Anyway, it's, this is the story of the, of, the, of, the, of the guy that comes to Jesus and is interrupted. No, Mark, I'm sorry, that's not it. I might have said Matthew. I was thinking Mark out loud. <coughs> yeah, there, that's the one. Okay, leave that there for just a second. Okay, so, so this is where, the, this is where the, the woman with the issue of blood comes and interrupts the synagogue official. And, and they're walking to go heal the synagogue's daughter, guy's daughter. And they're walking. And after the, the woman is healed of, of her affliction, somebody comes up and says, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. Okay, you remember that part of the story? It's the verse right before this. And it says, and as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, as soon as Jesus heard the report, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. It's the word for not fear. It's the same word. It's always bugged me in the Bible. The word for fearing God is the same word that we get phobia from. Phobos, it's the same word. And you're thinking, now wait a minute, how do you do this? When you fear God, part of that reverential fear is that he is all-powerful. And so when Jesus said to the synagogue guy, do not fear, he said, don't exchange the power of God for the power of the report. He said, look at this. If you fear the report, you will minimize your understanding of the power of God. That's wisdom. Now, Tracy and I had the opportunity this week to think that maybe we'd had about enough of this kind of report business. Wednesday, our son calls us, Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock. He'd had an MRI. He sends a text and says, I got to go to the doctor at 2.30. And this, this, and this is going on. And he gave us a report. Not a good report. And I went, oh boy, here we go again. You ever done that? Because the report became more powerful than your understanding of the power of God. Uh, you, you become, listen, you say, oh, I'm not afraid. When the report that you hear becomes higher than the God you serve, it'll wreck you. So we went driving up there, got up there at 2 o'clock, took him to the doctor's appointment, and, and got an all clear. By the way, it's a very notable miracle <laughs> that... That he says, well, that's nothing to worry about. That's this. We went, okay, then why did the other guy say it was this? Because, see, we've been on the wrong side of statistical outcomes. Right? When somebody said, well, one in a million. Okay, that doesn't work for us because we've consistently been the one in a million. We've had experiences where the report, which was largely positive, 999,000 people go through this and one person has a problem. Happened with Tracy's mother. 
one in a million, she was it. 97% chance with Amber, this is nothing. We're not even worried about this. 98 or 97%, 3% of these people get a bad report. Well, that was us. First time. Doesn't, it doesn't come back. That's the report, doesn't come back, except a certain percentage. And you hear the report again. And all of a sudden, the report, the fear that comes from the report, becomes higher than your God. That's not wisdom. See why this is important? If you're going to lead your family, you've got to have enough wisdom to stay on top of who God is. Not on top of what the report says. So then Friday morning, the reason <coughs> that, that we were praying, and we'd probably ask some of you to pray, is that Amber had an infection in her port. Now that's not a good thing. Because if they have to take that out, they have to stop her treatments. Now we're not dependent upon the treatments. And that's what I told our kids. I said, listen, this doesn't change anything. If we're going to trust God, we trust him first. Not, not, not second, first. Right? See, God doesn't like being second in our life. So we don't trust him second. So if you get a good report, you say, hallelujah, God was good. No, the good report is God is good. And the rest of the reports just need to measure themselves up with who your God is. Anyway, Friday morning, they took Amber to the doctor. And when they got there, they put a, a bracelet on her, a, an admission bracelet. It was kind of a surprise to them. And, and they walked her into a surgery waiting area. And when the doctor saw them, he came charging in. He says, I can't wait to see you. He says, I was just sure. He says, I've never had a port go bad. I'm, I said, and they had her scheduled for surgery to take this thing out because they were so concerned about it. And so... He upset the, I don't, you, you ever been in those doctor's offices where somebody jumps ahead of you and it doesn't seem fair because you've been waiting so long? Well, we were those people. So just keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> anyway, got a call from our kids and he came, the doctor just came charging right in there. He said, I was just so concerned about you. He says, and he, he, it's up here on her chest. You know, he pulls her stuff down and he says, Wow. That's just not possible. That looks perfect. So the kids, so the kids loaded up. And of course, because of, see, when fear hits you, when, when wisdom is not your primary force, when fear hits you, it'll cause your shoulders to roll over. It'll cause you to walk differently. And you just won't have that, that zip in your step that says you're trusting God. And so after that, they'd both been kind of sick. After that, they decided to go to the furniture store and look at tables. Now, you could say, what does that mean? Well, they couldn't hardly move before. What happened? <laughs> the report that just sent us tumbling was now underneath the power of your God. It'll give you a little bit of wisdom on how to walk. And so now I just learned that, listen, when that report comes in, if the report moves above who your God is, you actually have, a, you're afraid, just like this guy. Do not be afraid, only believe. He didn't say get rid of your doubts. He just said only believe. You're still going to have opportunities, only believe. You got two things in your walk from this place to Capernaum or wherever they were going where this guy lived. You got two choices in the, in the, in the half a mile stroll. Be afraid or believe. 
When you're afraid, you elevate the report. If you elevate the report, you have to devalue God. Listen, for God to not be on top, he has to ignore the sacrifice of his son. Are you catching that? Right? For, for sin to take you down, he has to ignore the provision of his son. And you can take that anywhere. For peace, there's three things in Isaiah 53. Be okay if I just preach this for a little bit so it's off of me? <laughs> three things in Isaiah 54. He says, you, you, he, was, he was bruised for your iniquities, right? He, he got your sin right there. And the chastisement of his pe- for your peace was upon him. So sin, peace, and by his stripes you are healed. There are three aspects of that in that verse prophetically of the suffering servant. So anytime your peace is not up there, for you to elevate that there, you have to devalue the sacrifice of Jesus. So you've got to keep that on top. Because if you don't keep it on top, what the world has for you will kick you. And then when you're down, will kick you again. And then if you look like you're doing okay, it'll kick you again. Because the world, under the direction, right, the God of this world, under the direction of the God of this world, is really interested in kill, steal, and destroy. I mean, just real simply. And so what happens is... Whenever we devalue our salvation, well, I don't, maybe that sin is just too hard for God. Nope. For God not to save that person, he'd have to ignore the sacrifice of his son. For God not to put peace on that person, he'd have to ignore the sacrifice of his son. And are you ready for this? For God not to provide for your healing, he'd have to ignore the sacrifice of his son. I knew it would get quiet when I said that. See, the world tells, well, that just doesn't happen anymore. Well, then hide and watch. You say, well, how can you be so sure? Because God is at the top of my list. <laughs> what were we talking about before we got distracted? First Kings 3, I don't know how to come in and go out. Your servant, verse 8, are you with me? This is First Kings 3 and 8. Sorry, I, I transitioned real quick. There we go. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be counted. Notice how he processes his work with the people. That's why wisdom is so important as you lead in your household. He says your servant is in the midst of your people. These are not Solomon's people. These are not David's people. These are God's people. Those are not your children. They are God's. It's the same principle. As much as I would like to say this is my church, this church belongs to God. And the minute that I get sideways with that and say, God, we've worked really hard as a church. He says, well, it's not your church. Right? Because wisdom has to be up here. Wisdom, the fear of of, of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? We'll we'll see that throughout throughout the, the, the Proverbs. Verse number nine, therefore, now here's his request of God. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. He asked for an understanding heart or a discerning heart. It's, it's, it's really one of those examples where we have to see without this heart transition from wisdom, we can't lead effectively. Now, I know you might get tired of me saying, well, just tell us about the Proverbs. 
Get this, because the Proverbs are to help you lead. And every one of you is a leader, one fashion or another. If you'll teach this to your children, your children will take that mantle of leadership earlier. Come on, how many have ever had your child come home from school and tell you that somebody made fun of them? Based on how they looked, how their haircut was, whether they got glasses. I remember getting glasses in sixth grade. <coughs> Excuse me. It was just a traumatic time for me, you know, because the only kind of glasses they had back then were their black glasses, you know. And so I was a, an awkward, skinny junior high boy with a cold sore and a pair of black rim, rim glasses on picture day. Yeah. Yeah. People, people say, well, that's not such a problem. No, it's a long time ago. Isn't it amazing that a 65-year-old person remembers his sixth-grade picture? Made a difference, didn't it, in my life? Wisdom imparted to your children earlier will make them less and less affected by the wisdom of the world, which says you need to look like us and be like us. Wear clothes like us. Comb your hair like my grandson, I love him. He and I are having the best time. He's, he's uh, 13, 14, 14 years old, almost six foot tall. He's at that age where when he walks by a mirror, he kind of flexes up a little bit. You know, if you've not raised boys, you don't understand that. But I mean, boys do that. I and mean, they walk by and they're looking, they're, they're trying not to be noticed, but they're looking in the mirror, you know, and they're doing this. <laughs> anyway, every time he comes by me, he, he'll walk by me, but he walked real close. When he gets close, he goes poof like that. Gives me a little shiver. Like that. So then I have to take him down because I'm heavier than he is. <laughs> so I went to pick him up at school the other day and I told him he needed a haircut. Now today, in today's school up in the front range, everybody wears their hair real long in front and then they do this thing where they kind of mash it up like this so it comes down about his eye level like this and then it sticks straight out like a bill of a cap. <laughs> Somebody please take a picture of these kids and show it to them when they're 50. Okay? And so his hair comes out, and he's always messing with it, you know, like this, with pushing it up and then making sure that that little flat part, I mean, you could store your pencil up there. And, and, and so I, he thinks that looks good. Everybody, was, I was in the parking lot, and here come one of his little boys, his little friends named Jordan, plays on his basketball team. He does the same thing that Ryan does. He pushes his hair up like this, and then he pushes it back down, and then he pushes it out. Walks right by my car. I wave at him like that, and I thought, you all look like idiots. Everybody has it. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to, to, to be in a group and all of that, but it gets worse from there, doesn't it? It can get worse where the pressure to conform is serious. So why do we teach these leadership-type principles from Proverbs so that you can lead your family, so you can teach your children so that they can be the leaders? Wouldn't it be better if your child was the leader and I don't care how their hair, it's just hair. Someday the, the trend will change and we'll cut it all off and do something different. I mean, I got a picture of them when they were a few years ago and every one of them had a mohawk. If that wasn't crazy looking, my one grandson, one of the twins, he says, Papa, you should get a mohawk with us. Well, it ain't happening. Yeah, yellow one. It's not ha widening and happening. Because I don't have to fit. Right? I always love it when pastors, <coughs> they, they tell me, and other people tell me all the time, that if I wouldn't wear a tie, people would be more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do, 
Maybe Jeremy's the one that's telling me that. No, I get it all the time. Nobody mistakes anybody else when I'm in the room with the tie on on who's going to be speaking. I'm leading. You can look at me, I'll lead. You can trust me, even if I make a mistake. Because I'll tell you, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We'll move on. When the next group of people comes in and they're all wearing t-shirts and ratty jeans and holes and all that kind of stuff, you'll just have to guess who's leading. I look at some people and I just think, you know what? You need to put a tie on and before you do, iron that shirt. (laughs) Amen. It doesn't make me, right? It doesn't make me better or worse. It just is how I think. He said, give me an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Look what he asked for. He said, I want some wisdom in my heart to be able to process how to lead these people. Okay, that's what Proverbs is about. This is Solomon and a couple other people writing down bullet points of wisdom. So again, there are no shallow spots. So if you read something, you go, oh yeah, I got that. I got it, pastor, don't you worry about that. No, you got the shallow part of that. There's depth. And so, so don't check out on me. I want you to read these Proverbs every day. One a day, won't hurt you until we stop teaching this. It will change you closer to God because you will be operating from a known amount of wisdom. It'll just be on you. Okay, are you ready? <coughs> I didn't read verse number 12. Can you put verse number 12 up there? I turned, I, I turned my, my Bible. It says, Behold, I've done according to your words. This is God talking to Solomon. And I've given you a wise and understanding heart, so there's not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any uh, like you rise after you. He said, Listen, I've set you apart by a wise heart. Now again... Because God is not a respecter of individuals in New Testament lore, in the way that works, all of us have the ability to be set apart by God's wisdom. And so that's really what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. I'll try to get through these things. I've got a couple of people sitting on the sideline ready to teach uh, these, these to us as well, so you don't have to get tired of me. But, but just understand, you've got to keep pressing into these things because they're so simple that you'll check out because you think you know. Okay. Here it is, verse number one, Proverbs chapter one. Are you ready? The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So we know that he wrote them as king. Notice what he says. To know wisdom and instruction. Listen to me. Wisdom and instruction always go hand in hand because without wisdom, you won't actually hear or see all the instruction that's being offered to you. You ever worked with a child who you gave them a little bit of an instruction and they grabbed whatever you were doing, they say, I can take it from here. Right? When a child does that. <laughs> we were putting together an air hockey table in the basement of the kids. And it has, you know, those instructions. It comes with a book. And it, it fits in a box about this high. Weighed 185 pounds. And it's got like a thousand screws and motors and, you know, things. And I'm just going... Dear Lord, we better follow the instructions. And I had a grandson who said to me, Papa, I can do this. Give me the screw gun. 
Okay. Wisdom suggests that without ongoing instruction, this is not going to come together right. See, that's why he puts wisdom and instruction together. And what happens as humans is we hear a little bit of it and we say, thank you, I'll take it from here. We say that to God all the time. Thank you, I'll take it from here. And because we misinterpret the instructions, we get wound up over what our expected outcome is. <laughs> Come on, you ever been wound up at the expected outcome when you didn't see? I'm convinced that we stopped before we heard all the instruction. See, that's why I say wisdom is deep. It's, it's never shallow. But what happens is we hear what we think, do this, be this way, whatever. We say, thanks, God, we got it from here. And off we run, about half cocked, right? Ready, aim, shoot. And, and what we do is ready, shoot, and then we realize we forgot to aim. See, we missed some of the instruction. Amen. <coughs> to perceive, notice to perceive, this is in verse number two, or literally discern, to see differently, the words of understanding. So notice, he puts wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And I'm here to tell you that when wisdom hits you, it's almost always attached to the instruction you need to do, and it's always attacked, attached, or almost always attached, to perceiving the understanding, seeing it in a particular way. A lot of times what we see with God's wisdom is, this is what will benefit us. If we do these things this way, this will benefit us. And so we run off half-cocked without really realizing that what God is trying to do is he's trying to benefit his people rather than us. See, your family needs you to get the instruction and to perceive the understanding of it. There will be times where you say to your children through wisdom, no, we're not going to do that because of the instruction and the perception of understanding that you have. And it won't make sense because they'll say to you, this happened to me, you let us do this before. Yeah, times have changed. Wisdom, instruction, understanding. You say, but, but pastor, that's not fair. I wish we could take that out of your Christian Vocabulary, because it's not fair in a worldly way, and yet you receive God's grace, which is the most unfair thing on the planet. He chooses you. Go figure. Why would he choose you? Why would grace come to you? And you say, well, if I don't get what I want, it's not fair. I'm going to pitch a fit, and I'm going to be passive-aggressive, and I'm going to let you know that unless this happens, I'm not going to act right. Well, welcome to immaturity. Wisdom brings the instruction along, allows you to kind of stomach what God's trying to show you because you'll have a perception with understanding. That's just verse number two. See what he's trying to get you. That's why he says in James chapter one, did you want to look at that? Do you want to take the time or you want me to, to teach this real quickly? I'll take my time. Thanks for... <laughs> look at this in James I know my Bible has one. Hold on. Look at James chapter 1. Now notice, keep verse number 2. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. James chapter 1, look at verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Without wisdom, 
You can't count what you're going through as joy because you miss the end result. You miss the perception of understanding. I really thought you'd get that and you all just looked at me like, okay, what are you talking about? Without wisdom, you'll miss the instruction. How many of you have ever missed the instruction of counting it as joy? Wisdom says, I'm supposed to get what I want. Well, maybe. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When you're stumbling around, it should be an expression of joy. That's the instruction. The perception of wisdom is what's being tested. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Most of us don't want that. We want our wisdom to be an inch deep. We don't need much patience. We need God to be ready. Microwave God. Push the button and in three minutes you've got a bag of popcorn for the movie of God. Let patience have its perfect work in verse number four. Perfect, complete, lack. See, we all want that. That's the perceived understanding. But the instruction is back in verse number two. Count it all joy. Wisdom counts it as joy. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And then at the end of this, if you lack wisdom, how do you know if you lack wisdom? He just told you, if you're not counting it as joy, that's the instruction inside the wisdom. If you don't count it as joy, you're lacking wisdom. Isn't that encouraging? Every time your patience is like that of a two-year-old, you lack wisdom. Somebody please say thank you, Pastor Glenn. (laughs) I know you don't like this stuff, but, but why do we have the difficulties that we have? It's the second verse of Proverbs. I meditated on this and meditated. I said, Lord, this is going to be really boring if you don't give me stuff to talk about. Because I did just what you, I read the Proverbs before. I've picked out the one I like. By wisdom dwell with prudence and the knowledge of witty inventions. I picked that one out. I like that one. Chapter 8, verse 12. My favorite. He says, count it all joy. That's the instruction. So what happens is, we bellyache our way all the way through this expression of wisdom. Don't you want your faith to be tested? Honestly. Well, yes. (laughs) I mean, we do, right? Because we want to know how to depend on the faith of God that lives in us. Listen, Tracy and I are going through that circumstance right now. I thought God has just this great sense of humor when he started giving this to me. It's before any of this stuff happened to us. And I went, okay, so I, 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 I need some instruction here. I read the first verse. I wrote this down. Wrote the second verse down. I went, okay, there it is. To know wisdom and instruction and to perceive the words of understanding. And I realized that I didn't have that. I didn't, I didn't have the perception of understanding. That's what most of us struggle with. We say, why? Understanding helps us understand why, doesn't it? So we get back over here to James. We say, why? Well, notice that it says in verse number five, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. 
There's a part of your why right there. It will give unto him. Let him ask in faith. Well, when he tests your faith, you'll have a... Right? How many ever, how many ever tested a particular muscle group in your body? Some of us are too old to remember that. But, but you know, when, when you were lifting with your legs, lifting with your arms or with your shoulders, whatever you were doing, you tested that muscle group. How many of you know that muscle group was tested? Next day, right? You're going, whoa, that muscle group was tested. That's what he's talking about. See, it shows you where your faith is because of the test. See, there's some perception of understanding there. You know that God builds your muscles before you need them. You'll get that. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. He who doubts waves, sea, driven, tossed. Let that man not suppose. Here's the perception of understanding. A double-minded man should not suppose that he's going to receive from God. A double-minded man should not suppose he's going to receive from God. You say, well, but I received from God. You didn't receive everything God had for you. Or you'd be happier than you are today. I've never met anybody who wasn't happy that was receiving from God. Tell you what, you can have a happy dance if you receive from God. Right? What happens? We just get by and we, we're, we settle with that. Have some licorice tea. Looks a little bit like swamp water. <laughs> it's got floaties in it. But it's good for my throat, they tell me. So don't let that man, verse 7, he will receive anything, but he's a double-minded man. Notice what else it says. Unstable. Unstable in all his ways. Isn't that interesting? Now that's just verse number 2. I don't have the full depth of verse number 2, but it's deeper than you thought it was. So you just read past it when you're reading Proverbs. Somebody told you to read Proverbs and you got to verse number two. And he says, yep, that's what we're going to do. He's going to show me wisdom and instruction and, and, and perception of the words. Then he goes on to verse number three. Verse number two teaches us how to prioritize what our expectations should be. If you don't prioritize the instruction, you see it? It says wisdom and instruction. If you don't prioritize the, the instruction inside the wisdom of God, you won't dig into that wisdom. You know, sometimes when people are struggling, they don't need an answer. They need a crutch. They need you to walk by them. And even though you have all the wisdom in the world for them, you need to get the instructions for their life and walk with them. Because they're never going to walk like you walk. They're going to walk like they walk. And what do we want them to do? They want, we want them to walk like we walk. But we don't get into the instructions. So notice, <coughs> we prioritize, pardon me, <coughs> we prioritize the instruction so that we can perceive. That's what verse number two teaches us. Look at verse number three. Can't believe how many times I've written these notes. Notice it says in verse number three, to receive the instruction of wisdom. Now notice what he's saying. The instruction of wisdom is what? Justice, judgment, and equity. Now I know this is hard, but here is an inch deep view of that. Well, of course we want God to have justice. And so we become, with that wisdom, we become people who tell everybody else why they're wrong. 
That's the inch deep one. If you get a little deeper than that, you can take the wisdom of God and say the reason that judgment is there is to teach people that you were judged in Jesus Christ already. It's appointed unto man to die. Proverbs 10, verse 27. It's appointed unto 9, verse 27. One of those two. It's appointed unto man to die once. Then the judgment. If you died in Jesus Christ, you are already dead and already judged in Him. But what we teach as a church, as church big C, not necessarily at New Life, but what we teach as a church is that people who don't get this need to be judged. And so we become judge and jury in the church. And we tell, I've actually had people send me notes and tell me that I shouldn't let so-and-so come to church because they're sinning. And I say, well, if you want me to, I can stand at the door and check everybody's sin card. But I'm going to have to stand outside because I won't be allowed inside. Because all y'all, been with my Texas grandkids, all y'all are sinners. You, you mess up every once in a while. It's not your identity your identity is who you are in Christ. It's not who you are. It's what you do occasionally. And there's a solution to that. So he says in this, in this uh, deal, he says to receive instruction with justice. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. He took it for everybody. And I want to tell you something. If he didn't do it for your future goofs up, goof ups, God has to ignore the sacrifice of Jesus. Some people say, well, no, now you know he doesn't forgive you until you... Nope, he forgave us in Jesus Christ, past, present, future. You can ignore that if you want, but God never will. That's why he says, I put your sin as far as east is from the west into the depths of the sea and three other things in the Old Testament behind clouds. He's not looking at them. You say, well, what are we going to do with that, Pastor? Don't you understand? We need to tell people that. Why? So that we can judge them. The second one. I love it. Judgment. Yes. You are going to die and fry. Yes. And we're going to watch with a smile on our face. Because you're not like us. Wisdom knows no limits to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying people should sin. I'm saying we should be telling them there's freedom from that. And from the judgment. Listen, the judgment is not, from the church is not nearly as hard as the judgment that people have for themselves. I met dozens of people who said, I can't come to church. My life is a wreck. They judge themselves. Well, what should we do about that sin, pastor? Just leave it alone and let God take care of it. You say, well, what if God doesn't? No, what you're really asking is, what if God doesn't do it as quickly as you'd like him to? Right? I mean, what if we're known as the church that has the... And there's somebody in the back row. The, I, I don't know that I have any empty rows. Yeah, the second to the back row. Oh, good. The second to the back row is empty. You know where all the sinners sit in the second to the back row. Right? <laughs> they come in and they sit right there. They don't want to be in the back row because they know that's saved for backslidden Christians. <laughs> but the second to the back row is for full out sinners to sit. Do you get that? They're already judging themselves. Everybody had to turn, everybody had to turn around and see who's in the back row. <laughs> Judgment. 
and equity. I'm not done yet, Byron. Byron held up the stop sign. I'm like a foreign driver. It's just a suggestion. I've been in, in, in countries all over, the, all over the world where stop signs are not treated like they are in America. You don't have to stop unless it's pretty important. Equity. We have to teach people through wisdom that God sees us on a level, on a level playing field. I am not higher than you based on my stupendous years of study in God's word and how awesome I am, don't you think? There's no difference. It's a level of equity. That's what equity does. See, we talk about equity in a worldly way, but what they want to do is they want to enforce equity based on their understanding of equity, not wisdom's understanding of equity. One of the greatest places to be as a Christian woman is in a Christian marriage. Because your husband is acting like Jesus. I was hoping that at least one woman would say amen about their husband. <laughs> Did anybody even think it? <laughs> oh, all right. The woman in the black in the back row that was considered a backslider has now redeemed herself. Hallelujah. Okay, so we'll pick that. Are you having fun yet? Are you learning something about wisdom? Because, see, that's the goal of this. We're just going to keep plugging through here and, 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 and putting along. And hopefully, by the time we're done with this, wisdom will have taken a step up in your life. It'll just, you'll live differently if wisdom takes hold. Amen? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.